in this episode. She phoned me at home and I was making dinner and she goes, Sherry, you know, it's Helen. And I said, Helen who? I did not expect her to call me. My other agents had never phoned me before. So she's calling and says, oh, we've got an offer. I tend to write the first drafts quite quickly. So it's all quite fresh in my head. So I didn't tell my husband what I was doing. I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. And I just, I wrote the couple next door in about four or five months. I like writing in secret. I've worked in publishing. I've interviewed hundreds of authors now. And even the biggest bestsellers, they're, they're all a bag of nerves. We need to really work on our mindset all the time as authors, because the biggest thing I think that destroys authors' confidence is when you start to second guess and doubt yourself. As human beings, we're always, always going to have those doubts that come into play at any stage of our career. Even if you're the most successful author on the planet, it still happens. I didn't know you could write a thriller with no idea where you're going, no idea who did the you know, killing, no idea of plot, no idea of twist. I started The Couple Next Door. The only goal I set for myself was I wanted to be a page turner. So um, how do I do it? Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to explore the inner game of writing and life and inspire you to start, finish and publish a best-selling book. My name is Mark DeVoe and in this episode, we have Mark stay back with us for an interview with the multi-million selling author, Shari LaPena. But before we dive into that, I'd like to thank all of you, our family of Experimates and our wonderful patrons, subscribers, and Academy members. And patron of the week this week is Connor O'Sullivan. Thank you so much, Connor, for subscribing and supporting this podcast. We also have a YouTube subscriber this week, as we have a YouTube channel as well, where you can get to see us doing all this live and direct on camera. And this week, our subscriber of the week is Leslie Chrislip Nilsson. So thanks very much, Leslie, for signing up on YouTube to watch these episodes. And finally, our Academy Member of the Week is the wonderful Jen Taylor Gray. And Jen is our Academy Member this week because she has put her dream declaration of finding her dream agent uh, on the academy, we do this with every single member who comes into the academy. They have to they have to say it out loud. What is the thing that they are focusing on at the next step in their writing journey? And for Jen, it's an agent. And so, if you'd like to be like Connor, Leslie, and Jen, you can join us as a patron. bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. You can pop along to YouTube and just search for bestseller experiment. Or if you're interested in joining the academy, go and check out all the information at academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Now, Jen mentioned that she's looking for an agent and I am in the process of doing the same thing right now for my nonfiction book, Passavida, Making Peace with Life, which I talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. And I'm really excited to give you a little preview for next week because next week's episode, we're going to have a two-parter with a Manhattan agent, a book agent, where I, in week two, I do a live pitch of my book to her and it is absolutely fascinating to listen to. I've stuck my neck out and as a crash test dummy and a guinea pig, I've I've tried to pitch my book idea and the, well, the most incredible thing happens. So do join us next week uh, for a two-parter with Lucinda Halper and a Manhattan agent who's represented some incredible authors. But let's dive in to our interview today. And Mark Stay has interviewed Shari LaPena, who's the number one international best-selling author of seven suspense novels, including A Stranger in the House and the absolute phenomenal 
The Couple Next Door, which was Shari's debut. It was a runaway global bestseller selling over 4 million copies worldwide. It was WH Smith Book of the Year in, in 2016, and it was the number one adult fictional title in the UK for 2017. And all of Shari's novels have been either New York Times, UK Sunday Times, and Globe and Mail bestsellers. And her new page turner is called Everyone Here is Lying. So in this interview, Shari shares why you should try to write your first draft quickly, how most rewrites for all writers create a massive amount of insecurity, and the importance of a good title and the surprising places where they come from. And in an extended interview that we've got for all of our patrons and Academy members, Shari discusses her secret source for writing thrillers, where she talks about conflict hooks and more, how to write successful standalones, deep thinking about your book, and how multitasking can be your worst enemy. But most importantly, why you should finish your manuscript before the deadline. So let's dive in and listen to Mr. Stay chatting with the absolutely lovely and incredibly successful Shari LaPena. Shari LaPena, welcome to the Bestseller Experiment. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice here today. Wonderful stuff. Well, let's talk about the new book, which is uh, sounds so much fun. Everyone in this book, no one can be trusted. It's called Everyone Here is Lying, which is a cracking title. Uh, tell us tell us about the book and tell us about Stanhope, which is a, a safe neighborhood, a place for families, apparently. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't think any place is really safe when you're in one of my books, but <laughs> it's about this. I, I've made up this town, Stanhope. It's rough, you know, it's roughly based on a town in upstate New York. Uh, um, and, you know, it's just it's a neighborhood where one thinks that they're, you know, safe from violent crime and so on. But they're really not because in my books, violent crime always happens within the within behind closed doors of you know nice families. So it starts off with a a doctor, Dr. Wooler, who is having an affair on his wife with the woman that he knows from work. And she dumps him. And he goes home in the middle of the day, very upset that she's dumped him. And uh, he finds his nine-year-old daughter at home unexpectedly. And um, his daughter, Avery, is a very challenging girl. Like She's very bright. She's very manipulative. She's very challenging to raise and um, he loses his temper and he smacks her really hard and knocks her to the floor. And then he feels horrified and he leaves. And um, a few a little while later, the family reports her missing. And of course, the suspicion uh, immediately focuses on the father. Um, but then as, as the investigation opens up, there are lots of um, questions that come up and various suspects. And what's interesting about this one is that everybody on the street sort of has something to hide, but they're all sort of volunteering information and some of them are lying and some of them aren't. And um, it's quite it's quite a fun one <laughs> it, it, <laughs> to it try really and figure is. out what happened to Avery because no one can be trusted in this book. Exactly. You've got a street full of lies. It made me think of um, William Goldman, the great screenwriter. He One of his books was called Which Lie Did I Tell? Which was referring <laughs> to, a, uh, I think it was a film executive he was in a meeting with who just hung up the phone and said, which lie did I tell? How When you've got a street <laughs> full of people who are lying to each other, deceiving each other, all the secrets behind the picket, white picket fence and the closed doors, how are you keeping track of the lies? Because famously, you're you're not plotting stuff out ahead. You're 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 pantsing a lot of your novels. So how yeah. are you keeping track of all the different deceptions? 
I've never had trouble keeping track of what's going on in each of my characters' heads. And I don't know why that is because they're quite complicated. When I start to lose track is when I'm editing. And, you know, when you move things around, mm. then I have to really focus and I have to have, you know, timelines written out for myself to see, well, who who did this when and, and so on. But when I'm actually writing it, I have a really good grasp of where each person in the book is in terms of what they know, what they think, how they're feeling. It's only afterwards that I, I find it a bit confusing when I get all my editors involved and and we're all talking about, you know, maybe moving some structure around, then then it gets a little confusing. But no, I get I get right into their heads and I tend to write the first drafts quite quickly. So it's all quite fresh in my head and I don't I try never to take a lot of time off. So it's it's I keep up with it. Because if I take a couple of weeks off, I gotta go back and read it from the beginning. Yes. Yeah. It's it's keeping yeah. those plates spinning, isn't it? It's uh, Yeah, it and- is, exactly. And when you, you, I think you've sort of tapped into something there when you said getting into their heads. Do you sort of get into character? I know, I know you don't always write in the first person very often. You're kind of third person omniscient. But uh, are you? Do you feel like like when you're writing William, it's going to be different to when you're writing Avery? Are you are you sort of getting into different? Uh, oh yeah, zones? it's very different. I, I get into their heads. That's I think that's what I like the most about writing. To be honest, is yeah, and that's why all my books I write from multiple points of view. Um. And I do have my new book coming up. I do have a couple of first person points of view, but it's still me in their heads, you know, doing it. Um, I just, I like to get into the different facets of the story. It's like, you know, a a diamond or something and you're in this Mm -hmm. facet and you're looking in this way and everything's kind of flickering that way. And you're looking at it from a different point of view and you're going to read something a different way. And for some reason, I don't really have any trouble getting into the mindset of the characters that I'm in. Mm -hmm. And I don't do any like, woo-woo character acting you know stuff i just i just start writing and i know i'm in that person's point of view and then i just see it from their perspective so that's what i enjoy doing excellent what when you're writing avery who is a nine-year-old girl in an adult world this isn't a children's book she's living in a world where people are having affairs and there's all kinds of terrible things going on what are the challenges of of writing a character that that young in that kind of world well, I would say the challenge is getting the voice right for the age and the uh, particular specific aspects of her character. So I have had some people say they thought she was way too um, adult or knowledgeable or she seemed older than nine. I've had some people say that. Some people think she seems bang on for nine. I think it depends on what kids you've seen and so on. Some kids are pretty savvy at nine, yes, but in yeah, a in a in a sort of the thing about Avery is she's nine years old, but she's she's very very smart, and she's also quite manipulative, mm-hmm. but she's also quite troubled, and she also she she thinks she knows and understands more about the adult world than she does, you know, mm-hmm. because she's bright and she thinks she gets it all, but she doesn't really get it all. Like she's missing stuff because yeah. she's nine, yeah. um, but she's got a a sharp brain and she's kind of good at reading people and manipulating them but there is a lot of stuff she's missing Mm. so um yeah um so if i could the the tricky thing with her was creating a character i mean i i know a lot about challenging children (laughs) and i i i know um i know a lot about um uh the different things that the different diagnoses children can have adhd and oppositional defiant disorder I've, i've seen it all um through various people. Um, so I know the ways that kids can behave and nothing in this book is that far from the realm of things I have seen no. in 
in my own life, and you're nodding along. You've seen it too. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm recalling my, my nephew had a birthday party once when he was about eight, nine years old, and you saw the whole range of children. There was one boy there. I was having a very intelligent He was talking about his Ben Sherman watch. He was very well-dressed. He talked about precocious, <laughs> you know, and there were yeah. other kids there who could barely tie the shoelaces, you know, so yeah. you've got everything in between. I think it's a terrific yeah. age, and, and, and uh, Avery, I think, uh, is... It's, you, you know, everyone will have their, your, your mileage may vary, but I think she yeah. is this kind of precocious child who thinks she knows it all, but clearly yeah. doesn't. And it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it rings very true to me, but it's, uh, yeah, no, it's terrific. It's it's terrific stuff. Um, and nine is a very good age. It's a cusp age mm, where some can be very, very aware and mm. some are not. Like, I, I think I became started to become aware at nine. Yeah. Like yeah. really more aware, but I wasn't well, aware as I thought it was. I think it's one of these things as well. You know, it depends on the parents. I mean, if she, you know, if she's living in an environment where her father his is doing duplicitous things and is lying and strikes her, uh, then you do learn to grow up pretty quickly as well, don't you? It's um, yeah, and you start yeah. to look at you know you, you look at your environment as a not a safe place, and you start yeah. to think about how to protect yourself and all sorts yeah. of deflection activities and. Yeah. Um, and she's good at that. She's like playing one parent off against the other parent. And you see that all the time in kids younger than nine. <laughs> no know? question. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Wonderful. Well, she was let, fun. Let's, let's go back to where, where it all started because, uh, you know, your, your breakthrough book really was uh, The Couple Next Door. But before that, you, there were a couple of novels, uh, Things Go Flying and Happiness Economics. Let's talk about where they came from. And why you veered away from that kind of, I guess you'd call it literary fiction, uh, and and that time in your life as well. So, so how did Things Go Flying come about? Well, I was, um, I'd always wanted to be a writer since I was a kid. And, you know, I, I became a lawyer instead. And then I became a teacher because I didn't like being a lawyer. And I always wanted to be a writer, but I didn't, you know, I didn't think I could make a living at it. So I didn't pursue it. And, um, I started off, I wanted to write, but I didn't know what I wanted to write. So I just started and I started with this character and things go flying. And he was, it was just a character study for me. And then things started to happen and then more things started to happen. And then I had a whole book. So basically I wrote that book from start to finish with no idea of where it was going, no plot, because I thought it was literary fiction. It's actually, it was a comedy. Um, and I enjoyed writing it and I thought, oh, this is, this isn't bad. And I got an agent really quickly and, and I sold it. And then I wrote another one, same thing. I just started it with a character idea, no idea where it was going to go, didn't care because it was literary fiction. Who cares about plot? No one really cares. And, you know, that was, that was fine too. But I'd always liked thrillers the best. So that's, that's what my interests are. I, I love to read them. That's what I watch on TV. Um, so, I'd always wanted to write one. And when I was little, I wanted to write Nancy Drew books. That's what I grew up on. And I wanted to, you know, I thought I wanted to be Carolyn Keene. But um, I thought because they were thrillers, I thought they had to have really clever plots. And I thought you had to figure all that out in advance. And I can't work that way. So I just thought, oh, I'll never be able to write a thriller. And it took an agent to say to me, oh, it's too bad you can't. I wish you could write a thriller. And I said, yeah, me too. Because, you know, I've always wanted to write one. And then, um, I just, I went home and, and in secret, I thought I'm going to try it. And, you know, I tried to plot stuff out and I can't. So I just thought, I'm just going to do a thriller the same way that I wrote my other books. And I didn't expect it to work. So I didn't tell my husband what I was doing. I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. Um, 
And I just, I wrote The Couple Next Door in about four or five months. And I just had fun with it. I Nobody knew, because for me, that's very freeing. I, I like mm. writing in secret. Um, and I think, you know, for me, certainly having people look at your stuff too early is not a good, good idea. Um, so I, I read it over and I thought, oh, this isn't half bad. And I thought, you know, I sent it to an agent and then, you know, the rest is history. But um, I just surprised myself. I didn't know you could write a thriller with no idea where you're going, no idea who did the you know, killing, no idea of plot, no idea of twists. But they do just come out unconsciously for me as I write. And now, of course, now that I know thriller writers, there's lots of them that do it that way. But when you're on the outside, it's so hard as a writer breaking in. You don't know anybody. You don't know how it works. Now, when you're a writer and you're in the in the fold sort of thing, you think, oh, this person doesn't plan either. And this person does. Yeah. I wish I'd known that you didn't have to plan a thriller. Um but anyway, I learned, and that's how I do it. So I tell everybody who wants to write a thriller and doesn't know how to plot. I go, don't worry about it. Just yes. <laughs> see if you can make it happen. How are those? How are those first two books received? Did it live up to sort of your expectation expectations of the dream of being a writer? Well, it was funny. I'm a Canadian, and um, in Canada, we have a lot of small press um, publishers. And my agent said, you know, it's a quiet Canadian book. Um, and Canadians are quiet people. We tend to not think really big often. And so it went to a small, um, a small Canadian press. Um, and it sold a couple thousand copies. The first one, the second one did as well. And that in Canada is not bad. And the second one was shortlisted for uh, the Stephen Leacock Award for Humor, um, which was good. Um, but they they never got outside of Canada. You know, they never sold anywhere other than Canada and they were healthy, but I also, I, I didn't want to continue to write that kind of book and just be writing small, quiet mm. Canadian novels for a very small Canadian audience, you know? And so I, I thought I'll take a, take a run at a thriller. And I was very surprised when my husband was very surprised. I was very surprised. <laughs> I got a new agent who just does thrillers and, um, and that book launched me. So it's been thrillers ever since. Well, let's 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 talk about the couple next door because I think it's sold something like four million copies worldwide. In the UK, it's W.H. Smith's Book of the Year. It was the number one adult fiction title in the UK for 2017. Uh, I think everything you've written since has been a New York Times, UK Sunday Times, Globe and Mail bestsellers. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. It's um, you said you had a new agent there. Was it was it a question of just? The the agent kind of nurturing your ambition, or were you ambitious anyway? Did you think, okay, this is this is it, this is a big change? I don't think I was ambitious. I, I think I was a very um, underconfident writer, and I I I wanted to see if I could do it. It was an experiment for me. But I honestly, when my agent thought it was fabulous and said, "Oh, I'm going to take this to New York and sell it," I didn't believe her. And, and I've told this story before where um, about a week after I met her, she went off to New York with the, with the, a partial of the book. And then she phoned me at home. Stop me if you've heard this story. She phoned me at home and I was making dinner and she goes, Sherry, you know, it's Helen. And I said, Helen, who? Because I for, like I did not expect her to call me. My other agents had never phoned me before. I'd never <laughs> been phoned at home by my agents. So was, she's calling, says, oh, we've got an offer or whatever. And I'm like, Really? Because I honestly didn't expect it to happen because my other agent had said, oh, we'll sell your Canadian novel in New York and everything. And I had just become quite jaded, I think. 
at that point. Um, but the thriller world is different. It's mm-hmm. different. If they like a thriller, things move quickly. Yeah. 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 So it wasn't, no, it was just the ambition I think came after that book was written. Cause I, I, like I said, I wrote that quietly, you know, in secret and I didn't expect it to do anything. And then when she got so excited about it, I thought, Oh, and then when they started making offers and all the foreign stuff, I thought I just got caught up in it. I thought, Oh, this is amazing. And then I had to write a second one and I, I completely, <laughs> I'm just curdled. I just thought, <laughs> Oh God, I'm going to do this. So well, I've never been an overconfident writer. And, uh, you know, I'm not overly ambitious, I don't think. I just keep trying to write the best book I can this year. Um, and I always worry that it's not going to be good enough. And, you know, the, when a book first goes out, I'm like, I'm always like, oh, God, what if they don't like it? I mean, I'm, I'm not one of those um, overconfident type of writers. I mean, are there any? Like, I think we all feel kind of insecure. Yeah. I think, I mean, I've I've worked in publishing. I've interviewed hundreds of authors now and even the biggest bestsellers they're they're all a bag of nerves basically yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Char, I, I really appreciate all the time you've given us today uh, what's coming next from you i mean it's uh it's been almost one book a year for uh you know running so it's uh what yes. is, is that so still my eighth my eighth one is coming out next july it's called what have you done <laughs> and it's set in Vermont this time. It's a rural location, and it's um, about a, a girl who's found dead in a field. And then, and it's a nice, safe town, you know, where nothing ever happens. But now, now something's happened, and it's going to change everything for everybody. And it's uh, it's a little different. You'll see. I'm not going to say how it's a bit different, but there's a bit of a different perspective in this one. But again, it's multiple perspectives. It's fast paced. There's a lot of things, you know, floating in the air and some twists and things. And um, so that's out this July. And now I'm working on the draft of the one that's going to come out the year after that. So, um, yeah. Fantastic. I love that title. What have you done? And everyone here is lying. Another great title. It's just so. Both of those are from my (laughs) British editor. She's amazing with titles. She came up with both of those. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm terrible at titles. I, I can't, I came up with the couple next door, which apparently was a brilliant title. That's the only one I've ever come up with. The rest of them have all been my, my team, my editors, marketing people, whatever. Ah, excellent. Yeah. That's good. It's interesting yeah. because um, we I, we were talking about this on our academy recently where the thriller market is so competitive. And very yeah. often, I, I know authors might complain they don't get a say in the cover or sometimes the title and the blurb copy and all that kind of thing. But the when it comes to it, thriller editors and marketers, they – they are pretty good at this stuff, actually, aren't they? They are very good at knowing what readers are looking for. And uh, I think you know. I think they are pretty savvy. Yeah, mm, I do. Yeah. And I yeah. think if you get a, a cover that you don't like, I mean, certainly for me, if I get a cover that I don't like, I do say no, I don't like mm-hmm. it. Um, and they'll always, you know, they'll rework it or whatever. Yeah. And titles are something we work on for months. Like yeah. honestly, it's because one of the difficulties about titles is a lot of them are taken like I'll come up with a great title and I'll Google it and I'll go, Oh, there's three books with that title because you know, thriller titles have to be a certain type and they have to be not too long and, and they have to have certain elements and there's only so many titles about murder. Um, So it's hard. It's hard to come up with something, you know, good. So yeah, I'm I'm quite happy with my titles. They've, they've been quite good. Yeah. I remember when we spoke to Michael Conley on here, he told us that he would Google a title like you just to make sure that it it wasn't taken, but that that, again, you have to, Particularly yeah. with the self-publishing boom as well, it's really hard to find one that hasn't been snapped up. So uh, I know, yeah. I know. Sometimes if we see something that's already been done, if it's a 
if it's a very different title or if it's for yes. kids or if it's for a self-published thing that didn't sell or whatever, then we'll still do it. But yeah, yeah, typically yeah. you want something that's quite original. Yeah. And, and you, of course, you want it to be sound like one of your books. So you want your titles to sort of all sound in the same sort of vein as, as your other ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's so it's tricky. True. It's tricky to come up with a title. Well, they all sound great so far. So uh, long, may it, long may it continue. Um, Shari, thank you so much for your time today and, and well, hope to speak you. to you again soon. Take yes. care. Thank you. Bye-bye. What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book? Quitting the day job? Becoming a best-selling author? Since 2016, we've interviewed and studied the advice of over 500 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over 1 billion books. And in the Bestseller Academy, we've incorporated powerful and proven strategies for success, inspiring fiction and non-fiction authors just like you to reach new heights and write their best book ever. Ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, coaching, and the most inspiring and exclusive community of like-minded writers? Well, your bestseller dreams are just a click away. Join us today at bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Wow, what an absolutely fascinating interview. And how nice is it to hear Mr. Stay's voice again? I know you'll all have missed him. But I found that interview fascinating, particularly what Shari said about how difficult it is for authors who are on their second, third, and fourth books. It doesn't get necessarily any easier with the success of the books. And I think this is something really, really important for all of us to remember that. I think we think that once we get a successful book out there, that everything starts to fall into place and we don't doubt ourselves and we don't question how good our writing is. And we've heard this again and again on the podcast for for many, many years now, that the process of writing gets easier because you know what to expect. You also know if you finished your first book that you've achieved that. You never have to question whether you're ever going to be able to finish your book again. As human beings, we're always, always going to have those doubts that come into play at any stage of our career. Even if you're the most successful author on the planet, it still happens. And so what it comes down to is it comes down to the mindset of how you deal with those things every time they come up, whether it's your first book or your eighth book. And so we need to really work on our mindset all the time as authors, because the biggest thing I think that destroys authors' confidence is when you start to second guess and doubt yourself. And that is part of the process because we are always kind of <laughs> running things inside our head. And it's very much a, uh, a kind of a lonely process in that regard. But really, really do remember that the thing that we have to focus on is how we deal with those thoughts when they come in our head. If we've got a really great process to just observe them and say, yep, there it is again, there's that voice in my head and not engage with it, not converse with it and not most importantly, start to believe it. Then I think that will be removing one of the biggest challenges that we will have as authors. But it's also recognizing that this will always happen. It doesn't ever really go away. Um, And so I think once we start to practice that more and more and we actually see it for what it is, the whole process can get easier and easier um, with each book. And then, you know, we're not having to spend so much energy on dealing with all of those thoughts and we can spend more of that energy putting that into our book. So thank you so much to Shari uh, and Mark, of course, for that incredible interview. And like I say, next week, we're going to be talking to um, Manhattan 
book agent and a literary agents. We haven't had one on for the show for quite a while, so I'm really looking forward to bringing that to you. But let's jump into this week's wins. And we have, as always, some amazing wins. Thank you to everyone who's been putting their wins uh, on email to us or posting them on our wins forum in the Academy. And the first off this week, I'd like to congratulate Zoe Richards, who I challenged a couple of months ago when we were doing a quotes, how to get quotes uh, challenge in the Academy for everyone to go out and see if they could actually reach out to authors that they knew or new authors that they admired to see if they could get quotes and endorsements for their new book. And well, Zoe went out of the gate like a bull in a china shop and she came back and said, congratulations, I've got two endorsements. Absolutely amazing. But that was about three or four weeks ago. The update now is she has 17 endorsements for a new book. This is her debut novel that's coming out this year uh, around the summer. So this just to inspire everyone. This is absolutely possible. If you actually go out there and ask people, it's surprising how many people will actually be delighted to endorse your book, give you a quote, you know, punt it out on Twitter, for example. She said, this week is Ask for Endorsements Week, and I'm asking, but the response I'm getting is mind-blowing. So congratulations, Zoe, and this is all part of an incredible build that you're doing well in advance of the release date of your book, which is brilliant. So many people leave things so much to the last minute. Um, but you should be starting this process long, long before the book is out. So I hope Zoe's actions inspire you to think about that yourselves. And our second win of the week is from Karen Story, who, as you might have heard previously and last year, had a number of short story wins. And out the gate in 2024 already, Karen said, the London Independent Film and Story Awards have invited me to their anthology book launch, which takes place early next month. And I've been asked to read out the short story of mine. That's included in the anthology. The launch takes place at a historic library in southwest London, which is actually streets away from where I used to live back in the 90s. So not only has Karen been invited to this amazing opportunity to read her book, but she's also going back to her her digs from when she was younger. So congratulations. And that, these are some of the crazy things that can happen when you when you get in an anthology, you write a short story. Um, you know, you might just think of it as winning a competition or being shortlisted, but there are all these other things that happen in the back, such as these um, launch awards. So massive congratulations, uh, Karen, and keep it up. And then our final win of the week is from Susie Edge. Susie Edge is someone that we've interviewed twice on the podcast. She's now an, uh, one of our new coaches in the Bestseller Academy. And as you're probably aware, uh, Susie has blown up on TikTok, 200 million views, half a million followers, 9 million likes. It's absolutely incredible what she's doing. But when we last interviewed uh, Susie, I think it was about three, four months ago on the podcast, we talked about a three book deal that she has got from Hachette. Um, for three children's books, which are based around history, but also a really fantastic and interesting angle that kids are going to love. And her first book is brilliantly titled Pooh Through the Ages and um, coming to a, a, a loo near you, they say. And Susie shared this uh, with us on the, on the Academy and the BXP team that she has discovered that the actual book is getting an entire one-page advert in the Bookseller magazine. Now that, for anyone who knows the Bookseller magazine, it's the trade publication where um, every single publisher and agent, um, every editor, that's the kind of go-to publication that they read. And so this is 
Susie's book being pitched to the industry before it's even out. And to just just tell you how huge this is, this is this is massive. This often doesn't happen that they will take out a full page ad. You know, that, that it shows just how much the publishers are behind this book. And they're they're talking about cutouts in stores. It's going to be one of, I think, possibly one of the most exciting book launches of this year. And I have predicted. Uh, now I don't know if 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 this is going to put too much pressure on it, but I predicted that this particular book, um, Poo Through the Ages, because I think it's a fantastic kind of way of engaging kids to read, but it's also taken these incredible, like historic kind of approaches, which you know have been really successful in the past. But I think it could be one of the biggest kids' books of the year. So I just want to wish Susie and all the team at the publishers as well all the best with that launch. And uh, you heard it here, folks. I mean, this could be an absolutely massive book. So do look out for that, especially if you have kids, because I know that's going to be a lot of fun. So folks, Thank you so much for joining me, Mark, and Shari today. And if you've enjoyed the music that you heard on the show, including the bestseller experiment theme, um, it's actually music that I've written. So you can check out the music project Urban Myth Club on Spotify. If you go along to urbanmythclub.com, you can also get links to other uh, places where the music is. You can also watch a video of today's episode on YouTube if you go to at bestseller experiment. And find us on socials. We're on Facebook, bestseller experiment. And on X or Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and Pinterest, you'll find us at Bestseller XP. And if you'd like to check out today's show notes, folks, it's the links are all at bestsellerexperiment.com. And whilst you're there, why not sign up to the newsletter? We've got a little link there on the top where you can click and you can get a weekly updates that come to you telling you all about the episode that week and the things that uh, we've learned from it that you can learn as well. You can also drop me a note as well there by just clicking on the contact still contact tab and finally if you want to get that book written pop along to the 200 wordchallengecom and join thousands of other people who are building their daily writing habits can you win our first challenge of writing at least 200 words every day for the next five days that's all we're, all we're going to ask this week five days in a row can you do it and i'll share a little really interesting tip about the 200 word challenge it's not about writing exactly 200 words some people think oh i find it really hard to get exactly 200 it's about writing at least 200 words. And what you'll find is if you get stuck into this, you will probably crush not only that 200, but quite a lot more. And there's going to be more coming about the reason why that happens. I'll be covering that in a, in a future episode uh, where we're going to discuss writing habits. We're going to discuss why the 200 word a day challenge works. There's so much incredible stuff going on behind that. Um, and we'll talk in next week. Uh, and in future weeks about some of the incredible accomplishments of people who've been starting the 200 Word Challenge and what they've achieved. So folks, have a brilliant writing week this week. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and Mark and Shari, and we really appreciate it. Until next time, it's a goodbye from Mark DeVoe, aka Bookmark. Goodbye! Goodbye!